Welcome to Fuji Love. This is the show that is all about the Fujifilm X-Series and GFX cameras, but more importantly, it's about the photographers who love to use them. I'm Mark Sadowski, and this show is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, whether it's news, interviews, and so much more, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And now, on with the show. My guest this week is Sean Boyd. Sean is an amazing director, cinematographer, and he is... Now, let me ask you this. Are you uh, an official ex-photographer or an ex-creator? I was an ex-creator for actually a year, but I'm no longer anymore. Oh, right on. Um, It it was uh, last year that you were an ex-creator, right? Yes, yes. And then uh, I kind of done some unofficial collaborations with uh, with Fuji in the past prior to that. Right on. But more importantly, you 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 are a cinematographer. You uh, do. I've looked at your work and and your 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 video work is absolutely amazing. And it's awesome to have you on the show, man. Oh, dude. Thank you, Mark. I, I appreciate it, brother. One of the things that really struck me. Uh, when I was going through your work, uh, was your video on the XT4? Uh, uh-huh. it, it is. It is. A, I wanted to ask you specifically about that. Did you have one hundred percent creative uh, direction on that video? Which Which video are you speaking of exactly? It is on your YouTube channel, and it is. Um, uh, explore the possibilities where you're just following this kid uh, and he's going oh. out, he's, he's yeah. going out using the camera, uh, video, stills, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, I did. And uh, it, it's funny that uh, you mentioned that. Only like really internal people would know is actually that was like a fallback um, video that we made. Um, I made like a whole video a while back, so like two years ago. Wow. Uh, on like a commercial that we did. So a lot of things fell through. We made a prior commercial on spec for Fujifilm, a couple friends and I, and the video fell through long story short. So we ended up making, exploring the possibilities just out on a whim, uh, kind of just conceptually came up with it with a bunch of friends at the time, um, within a few hours. And then like a few hours later we were shooting it and we shot it and then edited the whole thing and then delivered it the next day by morning. Um, because at the time, uh, it had to be to Fuji film for their marketing team, uh, for yeah. the official launch, like right before the camera came out. So it was like a big rush job. They thought they weren't going to get anything for, for marketing material because unfortunately this other video fell through due to some release form, uh, issues. Uh, I'll put it that way lightly. And, yeah. uh, you know, it was just an accepted loss and they were still cool with me and, and you know, it is what it is. Um, but I really wanted to, to make it right and, uh, do something awesome. So we just came together, uh, as a group of friends and, uh, they helped pull their resources and myself as well. And just shot that thing right out on a whim. They really didn't have particularly any say whatsoever. Honestly, absolutely no say in that video. I, Love the video. Like it is. Uh, I understand that you know, you know you have to. Fujifilm is doing its its normal marketing, but 
It is right. probably one of the most down-to-earth, grounded uses of their camera. And it you you basically tell this whole story of the uh, uh, of the specs just within how uh, the kid is using. Uh, probably he's probably as old as I am. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> you're basically following uh, th- this this guy and a- doing you know just following his passions and it, it, you're selling the story of the camera without having to really say anything about the camera. And, and right. I just loved that that uh, kind of uh, down to earth feeling that you don't really get in other commercials. Right, right, right. That was that was something big that we wanted to achieve too, and it's it's something where I'll admit, like I've gone there in the past tonally with certain YouTube videos, and it's definitely something that I've strayed away with, you know, because at the end of the day, like any camera nowadays is going to be good. The specs and the features obviously differ on all of them and what you can do and capable wise of it. But the biggest reason that you're using a camera in the, in the first place is to uh, lens a composition, a story and um, really encapsulate some sort of feeling uh, story, gesture, whatever it may be. And we really wanted to make that the most important thing on this when we were scripting. Um, you know, yeah, we're going to show you what it what it's capable of and what we can do. But the biggest thing is that you should be excited to go out and shoot and create something and not be entirely so wrapped up on the specs. Like, yeah, we'll show it to you. But, you know, we want it to feel genuinely excited because there's enough infomercials out there that will tell you every spec and how the sensor's built and all of that. But um, to excite people to want to go out and create something of their own that's maybe similar um, or, or any other type of project at all was really important. Yeah, and it, it struck home. I loved it. <laughs> well, thank um, you, man. But let's go into kind of uh, your work in general. Um, how how would you best describe yourself? Yeah. Would you say you're a cinematographer, a, a director of photography? Like what? It, it's it's, yeah. a, it's fascinating in that we know it earns money. <laughs> yeah. But like, what what does yeah. it entail? So, so these days, pretty much I'm a freelance director of photography for the most part. You could call it a cinematographer as well, um, either or. Um, and uh, mainly I've done a lot of music videos. It's not really my thing, but I've done a lot. And like these days really shifted into the narrative realm. That's why I've like originally picked up a camera. So I've been doing a lot more narrative work, uh, a little bit of commercial. I'd say that's my second favorite thing to shoot, but being a director of photography and, um, and freelancing and doing that your work is very much entailed on bringing the director's vision to life for that project in um in the sense that we're using this visual median uh to promote uh um, an actual message uh, a story or in some cases when it comes to a music video or certain branded pieces a certain vibe to it um and that's a word i hate to use but i can't think of anything else for the moment but um you're using all of your knowledge whether it's on uh the technical side of what camera what lens that we need to use and what lighting um but also on a philosophical level of you know is a high angle kind of make this character seem very uh low at this point in their life 
and um, very submissive. Or if we film them on a low angle, this is going to make this character feel very dominant and strong and powerful. Um, all of those things. And then also you're, you're basically a department head. You're the vice president on a film set. You know, you're the director's right hand man there. So you are in charge of managing the grip and electric team, which handles all of the lighting. You're responsible of handling your camera department, which could entail my camera operator for me. Uh, the first assistant camera who helps build the camera, pull focus for it. Uh, and then the second assistant camera who slates the takes helps out the first assistant camera PA on top of that. So that'll be camera department and then also um, art department as well. Uh, sometimes I'll coordinate with art department and say, hey, you know, for this character in his living room, I think it would be great if uh, maybe in the um, in the production design that we're doing, there would be like some certain pieces of art. Maybe he'd have a skateboard there because this guy's a younger guy and he's an artist. Um, really on how you're dressing the set will evoke a lot of story because you, you can have the greatest lenses, camera, all of that stuff. Um, but if the things and the props and the art department in the story isn't helping also tell your story, then you're not helping to achieve the director's goal. So art department's another one. And then seeing it off to post-production as well, uh, when it goes over and gets done in the editing, um, it usually goes off to uh, the DI um, for a colorist to do work on it. And then also conveying your vision for how you'd like the color to go. That'll match best what the director wants. And also my own personal taste and style uh, is pretty much what a lot of uh, my work involves these days. So a couple things. <laughs> a lot. I know it's a lot. <laughs> um, it sounds like just overwhelming, but clearly you're not doing everything all at once. So it, it, <laughs> no, uh, you, you no, get to face yeah. yourself. Um, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> so it really sounds like, and, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but uh, it sounds like you are helping write the story of the story. And it, you're basically helping uh, tell the story by uh, uh, the, the, the visual cues and, and visual narratives that uh, get to be on display and, and, mm. and so forth. Um, and that sounds like a amazing job. Uh, I would ask because you're focusing on the director's vision, how, how much of, how much do you think you provide your own vision on top of the director's vision? Um, like what, what do you think, would be when you, when you mentioned that you like to throw in your own little bit of, uh, uh, yeah. Um, I would say it, it depends on the, the project, uh, type that I'm working on when it comes to music video stuff, they're very fast paced pieces of work. They're less intentional. And usually I'm kind of, uh, I have to be very submissive to what director wants. Um, whereas I feel like the narrative projects I actually literally just got home 15 minutes ago from having like a four hour meeting with uh, director, uh, Dennis that I work with and, uh, we're very collaborative in the process. Um, and on a lot of narrative stuff, 
too, because the director's now not just worried about uh, one thing. They're worried about the performances of the artists, uh, sorry, the actors inside the scene. They're worried about the story, uh, how everything ties together with their script supervisor. The directors are usually much more collaborative in this process because they have a lot of weight on their shoulders, way more than a music video does because, you know, you have to keep track of continuity. You have to keep track of the actual story, the tonality and the performances of the actors and there's a certain thing that they're trying to achieve, but they can't be there the entire time to micromanage it. And they need to work with somebody that's going to bring them what they want. And they're, they're going to bring them that visual language that they're, that they're having. Like usually the goal of a music video, it's most times, not all the times I can't shit on it too much. Um, is, you know, you want to get in there, you want to get some good looking shots that tonally and visually fit it, but you're not trying to evoke a story or emotion most of the time. Right. Whereas narrative, it's like, you have to be just so intentional, uh, because it's like, you could get a cinematographer in there and it's like, if, if he shoots rom-coms and dramas, uh, you know, like, uh, like, romantic dramedies and stuff like that and you want to shoot this really gritty urban film and he comes in and the whole thing's lit super high key and like all of the shots are like extremely wide which is usually comedy shot in the wide it's just not really gonna tonally line up with where you're supposed to be um so i i really love working on narrative because a lot of my input is uh is valued and i feel very immersed in the process with the director especially after this meeting i just had which was great because there was a lot of ideas uh that i brought to the table like um we kind of have like this uh i guess like knives out um hateful eight kind of script going on where there's a secret villain in the room where you don't know who he is and we're talking about you know camera movement wise and focal lengths of how we want to introduce our secret villain in the script and you know what would be um dropping easter eggs visually without saying anything at all um, yeah especially when it the camera movement so that that to me is just so 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 much fun and that's really why i've been just trying to pitch towards the narrative more and more that's amazing uh it, it is when you describe it as it feels like such a cool gig that um basically when everything just falls in together like you when you talk about the camera movement when when you're talking about the, the, the lighting and everything, what I would imagine uh, the, the, the pre-production stuff, the, you know, the, just the organization is how, how much of your time is dedicated to the, the pre-production. And then, you know, how, how much work is involved in, you know, w- when the director says go or, or, I mean, action Oof, or um, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> when it's uh when it's narrative quite a lot of pre-production like i I, like refuse to go into any narrative set without probably at least like a good like four or five meetings and you know like spending at least three four hours every time and then location scouts and seeing it ahead of time because there's always surprises and you can have a plan but life will kick you in the teeth every single time and totally change it so being as prepared as humanly possible especially when it comes to narrative is so important versus like when i'm on a music video 
normally you'd be surprised like music videos in los angeles holy crap they're a dime a dozen they shoot every day every week every second so they'll call you like two days ahead of time hey man yeah capital records wants to do this video with so and so uh here's the, the the deck treatment and there'll be very few notes of any uh yeah we'll see you thursday at 8 a.m and like that's it <laughs> so you show in there you show up there with your camera team and you know you get everything approved in the gear that you want to use you go in there you shoot it it looks great you go home boom and done and but narrative is like you know you're, you're planning for battle like you got to be so strategic on it um and and so so dialed in and like with everybody in all the departments not just the director uh and everybody needs to be cohesively on board with what the vision is to achieve um sometimes it's a lot of stress for some people and it, it gets a little bit stressful but for me like i'm somebody who enjoys a challenge when things get just too mundane and just way too easy and it's just like i'm doing this nonstop, it, it just gets boring to me when it comes to telling the story, like do you do you see yourself? What what what, what, is, what is it that draws you to this kind of madness? The, the, this kind of uh, the, because there's a lot of there's a lot happening here, and what what is it about this side of the story? As opposed to, uh, I, I mean, I, I would imagine that you're you will eventually, you know, do your own directing. In fact, you have yeah. uh, a project in the works, waiting for Deja. Yes, yes. Uh, yep. but like, uh, like, how did you come through this avenue as opposed to maybe like a, a writer's uh, right? So, yeah, I mean, I've definitely done my fair share of writing and stuff and a lot of stuff unreleased and waiting for Deja is definitely like the first project that I really went hone in on, but did so many hats, especially producing it all myself. Um, But uh, really going the director of photography route for right now in my career where I want to be is something where I would take um, from David Fincher, one of my favorite directors. His mindset is, is when he was younger, he worked on a film set, right? And he worked almost every position, camera assistant. He worked in the art department. He worked in the lighting department. He did electrical, everything. He wanted to understand how the entire process went because when he went to make his film and a lot of directors go and they want to make their films and everything for the first time and you're going to get a lot of people who come on board either you're you're paying them or they're volunteers or something like that and you're trying to achieve a very specific vision but if you don't have the technical know-how to achieve the kind of quality that you want to achieve the 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 tone all of that then you're kind of just going into the wind and hoping that who you're getting is going to get exactly what you want and sometimes that may be and sometimes that may work out um but also to be a leader right and uh, whether you're you're working at a restaurant, whether you're managing a, a car dealership or anything like that at all, or I, I use the I use the uh, example of a ship. If you want to be the captain of the ship, you should know how it's run, right? You're best and effectively going to run that ship if you can understand everybody's position. So once you can understand what everything logistically and technically takes, you don't have to be an expert at it. You don't have to understand it to the utmost uh, sense and spend your entire life's work on it. But if you can ex- understand quite a lot and, and quite a bit, I think it's going to make you a better and more um, more sharpened creator uh, in, in any field at all. Um, so his biggest thing that he was saying with everything that I was rambling on about is that, uh, you know, I want to be 
I want to be so knowledgeable that I know how to achieve exactly what I'm looking at. And then another thing he says is whenever anybody tells me it's not possible, I can tell them bullshit. I've done it. It's possible. I know how to do it. Um, and that was like one of the biggest things. And, and a lot of the films that I grew up watching, a lot of the things that have inspired me, there's a certain quality, there's a certain um, texture and look to the things that draw my eye. And I always wanted to be in control of that. And I always wanted to have a very cohesive style. I really like uh, noir films. I really like neo-noir. Um, lots of uh, lots of different play in lighting ratios. You know, not just all soft light. I love mixing hard and soft light. Color, having wet streets, texture, sweat on the skin, all of that. Um, so really understanding the type of imagery that I wanted uh, over the years was like, okay, how do I become so knowledgeable and well-versed in this that one day when I want to switch over to just directing, I understand everything as much as I possibly could and make no doubt of it at all. I'm not going to have a project where I've wasted thousands and thousands of dollars and all of my time and efforts and resources making something that in the end, I'm like, this is a pile of shit. I, I would never want to show this anywhere. Uh, <laughs> so I, I would say that that's probably one of the biggest reasons that it, it drew me to it. And it's been a lot of fun. I think one day there'll be a point where I just really want to switch over to only directing. Uh, but for right now, it's like still learning, still pushing the boundaries. Um, doing things that I've never done before and, and going places uh, in, in filmmaking that mentally you have to be very prepared for because everybody will talk about the, the actual technical side of doing things, but there's a lot when it comes to planning stuff on this level. There's a lot of uh, levels of emotional intelligence that you need to have with yourself. Um, because the going can get tough many times and uh, it, it all feels like a big preparation for, you know, the transitional pace one day. And it, it's been great, man. How was, I, I was watching your, your YouTube channel and one of the videos that really struck me, uh, what was your uh, experience with COVID um, mm -hmm. COVID affected all of us around the world uh, in yeah. very different ways. But in right. California, everything got locked down to, uh, I mean, probably more locked, one of the most locked down uh, states during, yeah. during, during the, during the pandemic that is thankfully yeah. over and we don't have to worry about anything anymore. Yeah. No. <laughs> He um, says sarcastically into the camera. <laughs> oh man, I'm so done with it. <laughs> I'll tell you that I'm fucking fed up. <laughs> well, how? I mean, you you talk. Tell me uh, for for those that, that probably didn't see it. Um, you know what what was that time away from everything like for for you uh, living in a state where it was. You know, you know, one day was just, you know, full of life and energy and great restaurants um, <laughs> and to, to the point where, you know, just everything is uh, locked down. Um, right. Like for for your line of work, what was what was that like? Um, so pretty much prior to going into that period, once everything got locked down, say 
moved to LA. We were kind of like more one man band videographer at the time, like back in New Jersey. Um, came out there to, you know, work on larger sets, you know, more cinematographer based kind of stuff. And, um, I guess we're almost like, uh, almost like a year into living here, started to gain more knowledge of lighting, stuff like that, started to work on decent things. And I felt in my head, oh man, yeah, I got the traction. If I could just keep working at this level, learning, going to all these seminars, networking, and like, uh, this is going to be really successful. This is going to be a great career uh, trajectory for me. And I can finally (laughs) enjoy Los Angeles because prior to that, it was just like, you know, uh, eating crap food and 99 cent store stuff, driving Postmates on the side, doing odd jobs here and there, and working every single possible position you could imagine on a film set, you know, for low budget stuff and everything. And then finally I was starting to get hired as a cinematographer on some very, uh, on some tight little low budget music videos and branded pieces, but it it felt good. It was a step up. It was a step in the right direction. And I felt like, okay, I'm on fire. Nothing can stop me. Sure. I'm not where I want to be, but in a few years, this is going to be amazing. And then (laughs) right there, I remember, uh, I had so many gigs lined up and everything and we were on set and we were shooting some big metal van at the time. And everybody's like, yo dude, you see this? There's like some crazy ass, uh, uh, sickness or something in China. It's killing all these people. And you know, they're saying we might lock down. I was like, dude, that's never going to happen, man. And then we went home from the set and the next day they announced it. Yo, we're going to be locking down for two weeks. And I was like, this is friggin' wild, man. And I remember being in Hollywood, looking out my apartment at the time I lived right by the Capitol record building and it's so weird to see such a metropolis mega city just like dead just no one anywhere you, we went to the grocery stores um my fiance and i michelle and we're looking and, and all the shelves are like gone and we're like holy shit like what the hell is this so then from there it's just like yeah you're not gonna your dreams of coming to la and working in the film like that's that's dead right now so you got to figure it out but um then i got a job at amazon at the time delivering packages which I love and use Amazon till today, but working for them was absolutely atrocious, but you got to do what you got to do. And uh, pretty much from there, it was like, it, it was weird because that time showed us, showed me a lot of who your friends are really, because when the world goes to shit and when things go sour in general, you usually see how people are and their true colors. So unfortunately phased out of a lot of people at that, at, at that time. And uh, it was really a, a really hard time, you know, uh, financially and mentally and saying like, I didn't come out here to work a day job. Like I've worked so many jobs in my life and I'm never too good to work or anything. Uh, and that's great. But I came out here to chase a specific goal and a specific thing. And um, it was really just hard work uh, the last two years and just staying on the beaten path. And luckily somehow this shitty phase in the world has been very good to me and just stayed very active. Um, Everybody's very different on what they're comfortable with during this phase. Um, But I just needed to get out there. I just, I didn't come here to sit around and do nothing and fall back. Um, So between the last two years to now um, I've kind of, there was definitely a survival period of like, Hey, got to work at Amazon. Then it was, okay, now we're still survival period. We're doing jobs and stuff. And then once we kind of got past it and this became a normal thing for a little while, it was like, okay, now I need a trajectory where I can say I'm working. That's good. But now I need to be working where I want to be working. I don't want to be doing low budget music videos. Okay, now we'll do higher budget music videos. Now I'm saying I don't want to do that. I want to do narrative only, narrative only. So still trans. 
transitioning into that phase, but even then, technically wise, I've learned so much. Um, been so many places mentally between this whole thing because it's been hard for for everybody in uh, an abysmal amount of ways. Um, so it, it all in all, thankfully, it's been great, and I feel at a much much higher point in my career uh, and, and emotional intelligence and relationships in my life and business relationships and all of that. It's been it's been really good. That's amazing. And um, at the time of the, v- the video, you said you were engaged. Um, yes. As, uh, uh, still engaged or did you tie the knot? Uh, I am currently finishing up planning my wedding, getting married uh, August 18th this summer. That's amazing. I mean, so, the wedding photographer and me has to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So going up uh, to the Redwoods uh, in San Francisco, um, oh. have some come out and just small little event. But I was like, you know, just, I'm not going to wait any longer. The world is the world. You know, there's always going to be bad shit going on. There's always going to be negative shit. And, uh, you know, but time is is not on our side. And, you know, time dwindles down and let's let's do this, you know. Uh, so I feel good about it. feel very excited to, to finally do it. You know, I think if anything, the, the pandemic has taught us that, uh, you know, waiting on the sidelines is, is, is no longer an option that you, you oh, no. go for it. And, and that's why I think so many people are, you know, just ditching their jobs. It's just, you know, I could be doing better. And, and so now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. It, it opened up the door to so many things and like just mindset amongst a lot of people, not, not just myself is like, dude, you, you never know what's going to happen prior to even all of this. Like there's, there's morbid, terrible crap happening all the time in the world. That's just the way it is. And it's, it, it sucks, you know, and I wish the whole world could be peaches and cream, um, but it's not. And don't waste your time and your limited time that you have doing stuff that you don't like. And don't waste your limited time not telling that one person you love them to death and you care about them and and not doing things that make you happy and fulfill you and fulfill you with the people around you. It's like you're limited. You don't know what's going to happen. This guy's going to blow us up tomorrow. This sickness is going to wipe us out. This law changes. That law changes. Like it's, you never know. Yeah. Um, let's turn the clocks back a little bit because – uh, while you're doing some amazing work now, uh, I, I'm kind of curious to see how it, it all kind of uh, rolled together uh, in that. Yeah. Uh, how, how did you, like, what, what did you see yourself uh, early on? Were you more uh, of a, of a writer? Were you into kind of cameras, gadgets? Um, I definitely wanted to write and direct. That was always my goal. I, I wrote a lot of scripts and a lot of stories, uh, dating probably back to like seven, eight years ago, um, prior to ever getting into it. And I always just found it as fun. I was always a movie guy. I'm still a huge movie guy till today. Um, and that's where I saw myself started writing stuff in word documents and things like that just for fun. Or I would always come into conversation with friends like, Oh, imagine a story or a movie like this, this would be fun. And, um, when I got out of high school, I worked at a car dealership for many different dealerships for a long time in the car industry, a big car guy, love them. And that was great. But eventually I was like, you know, this is going to have its maturity phase. Um, just coming to work and doing the same 
task every single day just isn't for me. What do I want to do in life that's going to make me extremely happy and, uh, and fulfilled? And I started writing scripts at the time. Um, and then just down to the whole entire philosophy that I had before is I wanted to make my first film. It fell through a couple times because I was hiring some people and uh, paying them out of my pocket and some things got messed up and uh, it, it never ended up even launching like production or anything. And after that, I decided, you know what, I'm going to buy my own camera. I'm going to figure this thing out. And one day I'll film my own movie because nobody's ever going to do it the way that I want it. And I see it in my head and nobody's ever going to care as much as I do. So let me figure this whole thing out. <laughs> and so bought a DSLR camera at the time and then started learning how to use it, do photos and this and that. And then now it's what just what did I get? I was using my friend's T3i at the time, and then I bought a Canon 80D. was my first uh, first camera at the time. Right on. Yeah. I tried to date um, everything with the camera. <laughs> what's that? I'm trying to date what year this was with by, by the camera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, then learned quite a bit about that and just used it for photography at the time because I, I just wanted to really go to basics like, okay, how do I – what is shutter speed? What's ISO? Um, what are What's white balance? And then, okay – you know, you can take a photo and anybody could snap the shutter, but how, how do I get a good composition? And, uh, you know, what am I trying to say in this piece and all of that? So I'd say this whole entire journey until now is still trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> Ain't we all. Um, so as you progress, um, now are you, are you living in California at the time or like, where are you growing up? Uh, I grew up in New Jersey. New Jersey. Um, oh, that's right. They yeah. mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just kind of doing your thing. Um, so you're you're basically learning stills photography, but you're also learning about the the video capabilities of each camera too, because you're kind of uh, learning, you know, both sides of the uh, the the spectrum i guess the 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 film video yeah 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 at the time definitely and then um you know watching everything that that really had influenced me film wise and was like okay how do they do this how can i do this on a budget or at least get as close as possible to this um and even still today like i said you know still trying to navigate that world and all of the challenges that you face when you've never done something or a ter- certain type of shop before, it's all a learning grounds. And then it's like one day we'll, we'll, we'll transition and we'll get there and then I'll know exactly how it's done. So in those early days, who are some of your, um, who are some of the directors, uh, film producers that you, you were really, uh, looking to, uh, you were admiring slash you potentially wanting to emulate. Oh man! In the in the early days, it was definitely. I mean, I grew up watching almost every single one of his films. Um, Martin Scorsese was definitely one, as, as far as the the cliche of the cliche goes. But uh, yeah. being an East Coast guy and really seeing these witty, fast paced, aggressive 
uh, told stories that were that were able to be funny. They were able to be relatable and likable. But just that energy that he encapsulates in all of his films that the East Coast has, which nowhere else in the country uh, does at all, just really, really stuck with me. Uh, his camera movement is so incredible. The editing in his films, his characters, like the the idea of the anti-hero is just amazing to me. Here you have this villain that's just low scum of the earth that nobody should like, but you're rooting for him the entire time. And uh, a lot of the stories that I would watch are like that. Um, I really loved on a different level. I've watched Safdie brothers films and they're, they were very inspiring to me because they're, they're up and coming guys, uh, especially as well from the East coast. Um, that told relatable stories. Um, and now they're on their, they just did their second feature-length studio film. Uh, Safdie Brothers did Good Time with Robert Pattinson, and then they just did Uncut Gems with uh, Adam Sandler. Um, yeah. but they were very, very influential. Extreme levels of tension and frustration in, in baked into one film and shot very, um, very matter-of-fact documentary follow style, um, and the pace just keeps moving and just keeps moving and keeps moving. Um, really love their work. And then uh, at the time, too, in film class, we were watching uh, Aronofsky's stuff, too, which was amazing. So I'd say those people at the time really were so influential. And and so as you progressed, um, you're just uh, – what, what are you getting into? Like are you um, starting to, to, to get more gear or are you more focused on – trying to find uh work to uh you know get it you know get into the business um i would say 20 percent gear and then more just very specific jobs and, and and things that i'm doing i was just having a conversation on this today is there, there's always a safe route and a safe investment, whether it's an investment of your time or actual uh, tangible items, right? And uh, I was having a talk today with the director I'm working with about how a lot of the stuff that I film stylistically and the way that I like to shoot is, uh, you know, a little bit darker on the darker side, simply put. And um, it's just I want to work on a very specific style of project, especially when it comes to narrative or, or anything else, because there's a yin and a yang in, in the real world and, and the real life and where there is darkness, there is light. And, um, I really love, uh, good tales that are very relatable of either a, the underdog people going through trial and tribulation and things like that. Um, and, and endeavor and, um, just, just stories of struggle in general. That's just what I find the most relatable. And I love that. And I love showing and encapsulating the human spirit, um, so when it comes to investing my time into, into projects, it's like, that's really tonally where I'm trying to go for the future is, is get into that. And then the gear thing on the other end is really at this point, just an investment, which is great because, you know, we have to make sure that we're all making a living, but these days it's now just like the gear is getting to a point where it's like, I understand it. You know, it's like at one point in the beginning career, you're just like, Oh, I need this, need that. And like, that's great. And like, they're there and certain things are buzzy and techie and they do things for you on set. And that's cool. But eventually then it becomes down to a bigger thing because if you show it to your grandma, you show your work to your uncle, uh, your cousins, whoever, who don't care about <laughs> a full frame sensor versus super 35 and this and that, you know, how did it make them feel at the end of the day? And, and were they, they, in, 
like uh, immersed in the project? Did they like the story? Did they even like this branded advertisement? You know, people talk about all these funny commercials all the time. Um, I'd say that's really where my mind is at lately. And I've definitely talked way less about gear now and just it's, it's becoming less of a thing, you know? Yeah. Now that everything takes great video, it's uh, all, all you have is no more excuses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's really what you what you do with it, right? It's like uh, you know these are all inventions and tools. You know, um, Picasso or Da Vinci's not going to go and write you a full book about what uh, paintbrush he uses or you know what canvas material. Like you just look at his work and go, wow, this is how it makes me feel. I love this. This is amazing. I need this piece for this specific reason yeah it's no one no one complains about full canvas prints <laughs> <laughs> yeah ex- exactly exactly so you know it's great you can have many pieces of gear and there's definitely certain things that are preferable based on project or personal taste but it's what you do with it at the end of the day uh that that really matters at least to me at this point really um Although now that you mentioned that, I think it would be kind of funny to see Ansel Adams ju- just uh, giving, uh, oh God, what was his name? Um, There's a painter photographer. I, I can't think of his name, but I'm going to have to cut that out. There there was a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> um, you're good. You're good. Swing and miss. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, with, uh, I, I got to ask you this now. So you, you're you're in a uh, in a cool space. You're still learning. You're still, uh, you know, doing some a- a- amazing projects. Um, tell me, tell me more about uh, your your upcoming movie. You're waiting for Deja. What 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 is uh, what is that like right now? And, and how you know your your first feature length uh, or your first directorial debut? I don't know what, how how long yeah. that's going to be. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, damn, it's like you can shoot. I don't care if it's um, if it's photos, if it's a short video, or or any type of creative work. Let's say, and you're contracted to do it. Right? You can definitely be passionate about certain projects that you get hired to do, and be really gung ho and put all your energy in and everything. But it's a whole different animal when it's when it's your baby from start to finish, and you've invested so many man hours, night and day, working on it, and uh, you want it to be right. Right? You, you you almost wrap your entire identity in it to another level that you would never imagine. <laughs> At least I have. And um, when you get into creating it, when you get into cutting it in post, it's like you care to the utmost level. So it's it's just crazy to shift the dynamic because like I obviously care when I go on every set, especially if I really love the project, really love the script. But at the end of the day, a lot of the problems and trials and, um, and errors along the way all fell back on me. Um, but making that film, I'm still in post. So I get to edit it all myself, which has been, oof, man, time consuming and still driving me crazy on top of working ridiculous hours. Um, but for me, I, I think it's one of the greatest things I could have ever done. Uh, I may have a less standard and traditional mindset and everybody's entitled to their opinion, 
But in my opinion, whether it's making a movie or doing anything, you know, uh, like Quentin Tarantino says, how do you learn how to make a movie? Make a movie, right? You can teach all day long about proper uh, crew etiquette and, you know, how to storyboard and do all these things and make a movie, but nothing can ever prepare you for making your first movie with almost no budget and then getting kicked out of location by uh, police or other people for having no permit. Nothing can prepare you for uh, trying to motivate a whole crew of people to work for almost little to nothing or free and uh, learn how to navigate that, still keep your mental clarity and sanity to finish the damn thing. Um, take all the money out of your, your, your own pocket and believe in making something so insane where everybody's like, it's never going to work at all. And you have to have a, a certain level of insanity <laughs> in your brain to want to do this. And, uh, and definitely a level of emotional intelligence to be aware of yourself at all times and say, you know, what am I not doing here? What am I doing there? How can this be better? And, and being honest with yourself too, when, when you fell short. Uh, as well. So it's to me that like is my film school. Like when people say like film school, some people mean it technically on a verse of like, you know, let me get an education to go get a job. I mean, like I know how to make a film way more than I knew how to make a film prior to this. Sure. You know how to use the camera and you know how to light things and make it look pretty, but nothing can ever prepare you for something so emotionally intensive and, and, and so time consuming and such a wild ride that a grown man <laughs> can do. Uh, so it was, it was one of the most amazing things I could do. Um, definitely taught me a lot about relationships, uh, the the power and, and importance of conveying a message and uh, important to communicate to other people. And also just shows you that if you want to do something and it's important to you, you'll find a way to make it happen. Um, so that, that has been amazing, man, truly still, still breaking my heart and, uh, taking so much time to get it right in, in post. And, uh, I need to get out of my own way on that cause I want it to be so perfect. Um, but it, it's coming, it's coming. That's amazing. Uh, uh, when do you, do you have a tentative date as to when things should be all set or. My goal is to have it done by the end of the summer, like, oh man, by September the latest. I'd say I'm pretty much at 85% done with the cut. The thing is that we made this film, oh my God, in the worst way you could ever do anything, right? If, if you're a ship and you're a cruise ship, you have a set path of where you want to go. You're not just sailing out into the ocean and making up the route as, as, as you go along. It's the worst way you could possibly do things. And then expecting that you're going to end up in the right place at the end. Um, making this film was like a lot of people. You clearly haven't watched the news lately, have you? <laughs> What's that? You haven't watched the news lately. It seems like uh, cruise ships are all over. <laughs> oh, really? oh shit yeah no i never watched the news <laughs> um but uh what was i gonna say uh yeah so we were at the time you know any artist i think can get very self-conscious right and then a lot of times when it comes to a project of like this caliber or or anything in general right 
it takes a lot of resources, a lot of manpower, a lot of your time, um, sometimes money investment, maybe even sometimes none, right? But you're putting yourself out there big time like you never have before. It's one thing when you want to post client work, but it's another thing when you wrote it, you directed it, you scripted it, and you think, oh, people are going to laugh at me, this and that, and let me get more knowledge, right? So this was definitely the means to jump starting it to like, okay, you got to get out of your own way, buddy. Like nothing's ever going to be perfect, but you got to get out of your own way. So the time I met one of the actors uh, who worked on the film through a buddy, his name was Blair. He was like, Hey man, you know, we, we should make something together. Like you're awesome. You know, I can act. I was like, okay, cool. So we went in my garage and filmed some just test stuff with no lights with he and his cousin. And we thought it was fun. And I'm like, yeah, let's make like a little film. So we wrote like a whole little like mini script and the uh, film was supposed to be five minutes long. And then we kept saying, oh, let's add another scene. Uh, let's add another scene. And then it just got so ridiculously large and out of control very fast because because it got addicting <laughs> after yeah. making one of the first scenes. I was like, man, you know, this, this is fun. Um, the certain errors of course made along the way. I was like, man, this is fun. So it just kept growing larger and larger. And then eventually pretty much halfway through, I was, I just ended up writing so much for it and, uh, definitely bit off more than I could chew. Um, and then ended up just exploding into this huge thing. And, and it seemed like every set that we were doing just got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And I think it's a good thing too, because it showed me mentally like, dude, you can do way more than you think you're capable of. You know, when we told people, uh, Hey, we want to have a scene. We want to shoot at a house in South central. I want like legit gang members for this, uh, this crazy ass action scene. I want like five, six of them, uh, fake guns, the whole thing. And you know, this all going down or he's like, dude, you are not getting that for free. That is not happening. <laughs> lot of lot of uh networking a lot of relationship building motivating other people who thought the idea was sick and crazy and um in that youtube video you watch you see the guy on the front lawn all the cholo guys and the guns and yeah. stuff like that and somehow we did it two nights in a row on that one scene alone was was crazy and uh that built a lot of character in my head um big time because it was very tough it was very challenging like overnighters uh, like 14, 16 hours to film scenes that last for all of a minute and a half for each one. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm very happy with how it came out. There's always going to be some woulda, coulda, shouldas. There were certain things that we just didn't get, and that's just what happens. But those two nights alone, because I'd say that's the biggest scale of the entire film as far as the amount of crew, the amount of talent on set, the amount of logistics, uh, stunt coordination, um, damn coverage and just things that I had never done before at all. I was like, okay, how am we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Taught me so much. And every error I made that is making me still rip my hair out till today in posts is like, well, I'm never going to make that error again. So like I said, you know, how do you, how do you learn how to make a movie? Go make one. Um, and that was just, yeah. Groundbreaking monumental. That is, I mean, when you put it like that, that that's a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look, it, it was still fun, you know. It was crazy for sure. And uh, when I look back on it, you, you don't appreciate it at the time for what it is because you're just so in it and you're so on. But when I look back at it, I'm like, this was fucking insane, man. Like, you're out of your mind. Like, we filmed on location in South Central with some real ex-gang members, full head-to-toe and tattoo. And there's, like, people riding by with no permits. And we're filming this thing with all these massive lights on the lawn. And we got a motorcycle and fake guns. And it's like, oh, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> like, never did I think is some stupid kid from New Jersey 
Jersey working at a car dealership with no formal education would be out here leading and commanding something, you know, not Warner Brothers production level, but still, I was like, you know, this is kind of crazy. You did this, you know, like it or not. Yeah, maybe you don't like some things about it, but this just shows you what you're capable of when you want something. So yep. hopefully it's a good ode to the future and, and, and many more things beyond that. When it's ready, you definitely let us know uh, because yeah. I I I, I want to be the first one. In, well, one of the first people in line. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. A lot more, a lot more sleepless nights to go, but uh, but we're getting there. Yeah, pretty much at an eighty-five percent done cut, and I'm so crazy. I want to do one more pickup scene because it's just like <laughs> I'm just I'll, I'm Francis Ford Coppola on that one. It's like oh no, it's got to be right. It's got to be perfect. And anybody who knows me knows me. I'm extremely nitpicky and anal. I'll be like, his performance there was not the best. We didn't get it on that. No, there's not enough of this. So. Um, we're pretty much there. And then, uh, I guess the, the next thing that I want to do is hire a consulting editor to go through it. Um, then I got some good friends. Thankfully, uh, I have my buddy Shane in New York. Shout out to you. If you're listening, he's, uh, going to do all the audio post-production mixing, and then we're going to try and get it out to some festivals. And then eventually, I don't know, I'm going to try and see if we can put it on streaming anywhere. So it's all a very new process to me. Learning, <laughs> learning as I go along. Right. Yeah. And so one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, speaking of streaming, um, how how has that changed the industry? Because nowadays, with I mean, we are living in a post-pandemic world, and like it wow. or not, the the you know, movie theaters are feeling a little bit of a pinch, depending on the movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's got to be something so over the top for for most people. Um, I mean, it definitely has affected the industry big time. Uh, streaming, I would say, thousand percent. Um, it depends who you talk to, you know, because it, it could either be from a consumer standpoint or somebody who works on the production side. Um, and it definitely has uh, effects on both ends. Uh, my opinion on the consumer side is personally i think it, it's diluted that special quality to movies um not for everything but for some things um and it's really a huge huge cash cow for a lot of these companies like netflix amazon things like that because you're able to produce depending on the show right uh almost movie level quality for a lot lower than a movie and now instead of having two hours worth of a movie kept finally delivered, you're spending the same amount to have a 10, 12 episode season, right? Like I was talking about uh, Stranger Things the other day with a buddy. He's telling me it's currently the most expensive Netflix show to produce, right? It's about $30 million an episode for Stranger Things, which I, I actually enjoy Stranger Things. It's fun. Um, and if you do a 10 episode season, that's about $300 million. The average Avengers Endgame Marvel type movie, if you will, is about three to 500 million dollars right and they'll see a lot of revenue yeah but now like i said you're getting 10 episodes for less for 300 million dollars right not a not a small amount of money but now they're able to span it so that's that's great and now you get more content that you could watch as the consumer but in other cases i feel like it's really diluted the art of filmmaking because i see a lot of laziness see a lot of you're gonna see a lot more cg uh, a lot more non-practical effects, a lot more um, 
a lot more stories that are redone and remade and repurposed or things that are, oh man, I don't know what the word I'll use for this is on your podcast because I'm going to be nice, but uh, things that are more made to, uh, for corporate offices to profit off of. It's not for the art. It's like these it's certain people, <laughs> yeah. A certain group of people will like this, so we'll make this. There's not really any story or any point to it, or they don't really believe in it, but we'll like it because it's like mm, it's like having a restaurant and saying, yeah, we need to put vegan stuff on the menu because that's profitable and we need to open it up. Not that they really care about X thing. It's just, hey, this opens up the way for more profit. You know, Whether that's redoing the Marvel movies 500 times so you could squeeze another couple million dollars out of it. It's like it's not really for the art. Um, so personally, that's, that's my feeling on it. It's just kind of, is really diluted it. Like you see before you used to watch stuff and it used to be very special and you used to be very tuned into it, but now it's so saturated and there's so much stuff. They want to make it as cheap as possible and it's hard to keep up with all the shows. And there's very few like actually good and well done shows, uh, in my opinion, um, these days. And it's just like, yeah, it could be to technical budgetary things. And most of the time to me, it's story driven. Um, and then on the other end, on crew end, a lot of the crews really don't like it. They get a lot of frequent jobs from it. It's just kind of the way that it's going. But the the biggest thing is there was almost a big union strike last year here in town because uh, a lot of the unions are the people who work on these shows and everything like that. And it used to be that like uh, the crews for uh, the unions had a deal with Paramount, you know, MGM, Sony Pictures, all of that. Right. And it was for a certain rate, let's say, for the crew. And when Netflix came out, Netflix was a period, like a company that shipped DVDs. They didn't produce original content. And when they first started to get into it, as well as Amazon, this was kind of like a whole new thing because 10 years ago, you got a DVD in the mail from Netflix. You didn't get an original movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and these A-listers. It's not like how it is now. So they negotiated a lower rate for these crews uh, to do the production, right? They said, oh, no, we don't have the money like Warner Brothers and Netflix and everything like that. And this is 10 years ago. So they said, okay, fine, we'll do it for a lower rate, whatever, whatever. But now, dude, Netflix has way more money than the average Warner Brothers or uh, Sony picture. I mean, MGM just got bought up by, um, I, correct me, I, correct, hopefully I'm not wrong on this. I'm going to Joe Rogan this one, look this up if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I believe I believe it is uh, Sony who bought the Mauer, sorry, Amazon, who bought MGM. I believe that it's them. It's one of the big main conglomerates. And the problem is, is that even though that deal was in place 10 years ago because they didn't have the money, they didn't have the infrastructure, and they kind of wanted an indie deal, if you will, at the time, now they're the most profitable in the game and they have billions and billions. So the people on the crew side are like, you're working us like death. You know, we're working 14, 18 hours a day on these shows that are huge massive cash cows for you guys and we're working for lower rates than if we were to work on a feature film for you know one of the bigger uh places we need to renegotiate this deal otherwise we're walking out so crews haven't really liked it at all um because on those productions they kind of cheap out a lot bigger it's all you know big 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 profit so uh, yeah it's like it's it's a weird weird phase you know it's very rare that i see a very well done show in my opinion everybody's open to their own um, and things that weren't done for the absolute cheapest and cutting corners and, you know, cutting corners could either have entertainment depreciation or sometimes safety issues, which I hope never happens anymore or the little least that it can. 
Um, so it, it's very interesting. You know, there's good things about it and there's bad things about it, like anything. Yeah. And uh, when the dust settles, do you think – so right now we have, like, some of the, the big streaming services, but there's also a ton of, like, little streaming services. Do you kind of see right. a lot of these things – uh, consolidating, or do you think it's going to get spread out even more? And what do you think about what's going to happen I, to movie theaters? Right. I think that it's going to spread out even more on, on streaming because everybody's going to come in and take their shot. It's a huge cash cow. But you're going to have people get gobbled up by these big guys. And if you do have other streaming services come into the market and they are successful, it's only a matter of time before Apple, Jeff Bezos, somebody wants to buy it up and add it to it. I mean, look at look at what Disney has become. They bought up everything they possibly can. So th- it could either go that way um, and, or eventually consumers will get tired of it because it's like, hey, do you have Paramount Plus? No, I got Hulu. Oh, you got Hulu? No, I got Netflix. I got Amazon Prime. I got HBO. And it's just so damn many um, to where maybe the demand in the market is we just want to simplify this, in which case I would imagine some will fall off, others will succeed, or some will buy out the other ones and, and merge it into one. So that could happen. Um, and then as far as the movie theater thing, it's 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 a coin toss really right now. I mean, you definitely saw a huge negative decline with uh, with coronavirus and everything and less importance on it and streaming and everything. Um, everybody has their opinions and, and experiences, if you will, right, on what they like in a movie and what movies they do and don't like. And uh, I feel like in the past few months, I mean, I'm the biggest movie skeptic. Uh, you know, I have a very specific style I like. doesn't mean my opinion is superior to other people. But lately, uh, for the first time in a while in the past two years, I've gone to the movies more. I feel like there's actually been some some great pieces and some great, uh, you know, uh, some great stories that haven't been done before. I don't need another movie dug up from the 80s that's spun off in a new way with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and 12 Fast and the Furiouses and then another 40 sequels of another Marvel movie and spin off. And, you know, it's just, it just gets tiring. So it feels refreshing to see some new original content. Um, like truly original. And then, like I said, uh, it feels refreshing to see content that is not trying to cater for dollars, but more just make good art. Um, and recently I saw the Northman, which I was just absolutely impressed by. I loved every, every second of that film. And I feel excited to go back to the movies. I've seen at least four or five movies in the span of the past three months in the movies. So for me personally, I've been enjoying going back to the movies. I've talked to a lot of people going back to the movies. So I hope it can change. I could be wrong. What do I know? Um, but I, I think that, um, at the very least, not even opinion based, like a lot of these sequels, reboots, remakes that they've made for ridiculous amounts of money because, Hollywood and its studio investors think they're playing it safe. If it worked before, let's do it again. Um, and they've crashed in the tubes or these things that they put on the menu to cater to certain audiences are crashing to a ridiculous level. 
And it's like, they kind of realize it, you know, Oh shit, we got to do something different. Um, and Quentin Tarantino was having a discussion on this as well on how there's been many, uh, phases in Hollywood and other people have too, where filmmaking has kind of just shit out because the suits get involved and they want to maximize profit. And that's great. I understand, you know, uh, you got to make money at the end of the day, you're a business. Um, but eventually they kind of take wave and like, you know, you guys gotta, you gotta fix what you're doing here. So I'm hopeful. I'm hoping that, you know, better movies will continue to come back uh, and there'll be more reasons to go to the movies. And a lot of my friends and even people who are not movie people are saying they're going to the movies more. So I hope that it can change. But, you know, I I don't know. It could go anywhere. Um, I I really hope that it continues, though. Yeah. Agreed. I do. I do enjoy the, 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 the grandiose of like the big screen and yeah, and like uh, I, I, Marvel is a guilty pleasure of mine, but uh, <laughs> but at, at this point, it's kind of like, eh, all right, we kind of been there, done that. It's uh, you, you yeah. can't have, you can't have that grandness all the time. Um, and, and truth be told, I kind of want them to kind of lower the stakes a bit. Um, mm. I mean, if everything is a world-ending phenomenon, I, I can't imagine <laughs> that universe. <laughs> it's interesting that you put it that way. I really like that perspective. I, I'm not a Marvel guy personally. You know, everybody has their their thing, but uh, my fiance loves well, doesn't love, but she watches quite a bit of it. My cousin's a big uh, superhero guy uh, as well, and you know, even they were saying that they're like, you know, it's just it's lost. It's like. It doesn't feel special anymore. It's the same thing, just kind of rebooted. And it's like, man, we love the last one. Okay, so let's make it just like the last one and everything else. And, uh, yeah, people will like it. And it's like, mm, I want something new. Well, we all kind of, you know, just went along for the ride with Robert Downey Jr., really. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I remember watching that first Iron Man movie and just having it as a grounded movie and just with 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 Favreau's uh storytelling uh and Robert Downey Jr's you know just sheer charisma uh i, I that that set the stage for some truly awesome stuff Right. Because I definitely feel like the Marvel movies the earlier earlier stages when it first started to come in just tonally were totally different. It was totally different. It felt like an action, uh, like drama movie, if you will, a little bit more grit to them for sure. And a little bit more sense of realism and, and the stakes were to actually uh, contrary to your point. And this point, I'll say the same saying, but the stakes felt higher, right? Like, Iron Man, um, I remember I watched the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans. I enjoyed those when I was a kid. It's guilty pleasure as much as I'm yeah. not a superhero movie. And I felt fun, right? Like like Uncle Ben, it, it was sad when you saw him die. It showed the, the, the obligation that as human beings, we are not invincible, right? And it, it leaves that factor on it and it, it made you cherish a lot. And it also, you know, it's, it's a little bit darker, but like real life is like that. And I feel like I said, like the these new movies are catered like a I forgive me, Martin Scorsese says it like a theme park ride. It's gotta be for everybody. No, this can't be too offensive. Oh no, not too much gore for the kids. Like we gotta sell this thing. And it, it starts to lose its art and it starts to lose what it is uh from the story. Like um 
I even, I mean, I love the Batman movies. Those are probably the only, uh, the Christopher Nolan ones. And then I had fun watching the other ones, uh, you know, with Val Kilmer, the other were Arnold Schwarzenegger's Iceman as a kid, as cheesy as they all were as a kid, um, because they were just a little bit different. You know, Batman went through some psychological trials and tribulations, and it wasn't trying to be something that you could sell a million bobbleheads off of and everything. It was just trying to be good art. Um, and I definitely see your point too in the, in, in the original, like earlier Marvels till now, I didn't even know that blade was, it was a Marvel thing till now, till recently. Cause there was a whole thing and I'm sure you've seen it. That blade is like the reason that Marvel like came back into fruition and, and now is so successful as it is. It wasn't their first Marvel movie though. No, oh, no. what, what was the, the first, first Marvel? Marvel? Howard the duck. What? I don't even know why. I'm going to Google this while we're on. Howard the Duck almost brought Marvel down, I think. <laughs> it was, uh, oh, yeah, damn. Yeah, George Lucas did that. That's, that's, that's a Marvel this property. Marvel? Yep. This is Marvel. Yeah, Lucasfilm. Wow. Jesus. Wow. It didn't do Lucas any favors either. <laughs> uh, I've definitely seen screenshots of this, uh, but I have not seen this. Wow. No shit. You're better off for it. You're not. <laughs> Uh, you I mean, I'm looking at th- this. Seems like something that like they'd be smoking joints and like laughing their head off on Joe Rogan. Like Jamie, pull that up. Like, there, there, <laughs> there's a guy like there's a guy with a duck head and like they did it practically. <laughs> yeah, you're probably gonna I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't even seen it, and I'm like looking at it. I'm like, this looks so outrageous. This looks like something you just watch with a bunch of buddies and be like laughing your head off. Oh, oh my god! It, it was. Uh... Yeah, you, you're pretty much spot on there. <laughs> Let's... Wow. Yeah, you would never think that this is a Marvel because, you know, you think superhero dude in spandex saving the world, flying around, cape, the whole thing. But Howard the Duck, huh? Howard the Duck was one of the lesser known properties. You see him a lot in Guardians of the Galaxy now. But uh, Oh, really? Yeah, he's um, – yeah, if you watch some of the end, cre- end credits and stuff, uh, you, you'll you'll see more of him. Uh, but yeah, he's a, he's a raunchy guy. He's, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, the, the behind the scenes on on that one, the lawsuit between Disney. (laughs) Looking at all of the daredevil with Ben Affleck. Yeah. Just like tonally where they came from. It it felt like I was watching these very noir, like images that would be literally written in the comics when you saw like Daredevil and, and the the original Punisher, the other one before there was um Oh Dolph Lundgren? What's that? With Dolph Lundgren? <sighs> no, not that one. What's uh oh man, what's this other guy's name? Oh the other guy. Uh the one uh, it was also with um uh oh. yeah, this was like two thousand four. I'm like looking yeah. at all this. I actually yeah. like that one. The one and it had um yeah. oh god it had what's his name broken arrow um yes yes right right yeah exactly this is way just tonally way different it was definitely something more adult like you know i mean like i said to each their own but uh it it felt more on tone It, it felt more uh like the like the comics and like 
it felt like it was honing in on the story rather than trying to sell you a bigger franchise and a bunch of bobbleheads and everything that goes with it and be an attraction for the kids. It felt like this is the story. These are the characters. These are the world. If you don't like it, then there are kids movies over there. But uh, the new movies just feel like way too much personally for me. Um, and dude, I remember watching. Yeah. Everyone's build franchises now. Like, yeah, pretty much the word in town is like they will not, and for the most part, most major studios, unless you're like Neon or A24, will not invest in your script unless they believe 100% it could be franchised. Like, yeah. it's, it's a safe cash cow. It's like, you know, uh, and I, I get it. I really get it. It's just uh, <laughs> the, the real purist art guy in me like wants a really good juicy story and not something that's like, you know, everything is just – Put in the movie specifically to sell more and make more, and I'm like, oh god, can't stand I it. One-off movies, like yeah. For, I mean, for the longest time, Top Gun was just a one-off movie. It was uh, you yeah, know, you know, the, watching that in the theaters was just mind blowing, and uh, you know, just and, and just watching Tom Cruise's career go from you know, one movie to the other, it, you know, just, it, it right. was, it was fun. I, I had a great time watching his movies, even the ones that people didn't really like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, No, I watched quite a few of his films that I, I agree with the same thing. And uh, I, I haven't seen the new one. Uh, I don't know. I'll go throw it on and maybe not my thing. I'd rather just stick to the original, but why not? Whatever. Um, but I guarantee I've heard it's a smash success and uh, guarantee they're going to make another one. Especially after they realize, oh, this is profitable. Hell yeah, let's do it again. We have a lot of time to catch up on. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I don't know. I milk it. So yeah, I'm even looking here, dude. Blade. Like I can't even believe Blade is a Marvel movie. I remember seeing Blade two as a kid and be like, holy shit, look at this. Never seen anything yeah. like this. Yeah, Blade was vampires. Was, oof. <laughs> um, you know. Um, yeah, it's crazy. But you got people doing. I mean, it's not my thing, but I, but I've already heard there's definitely people doing the superhero thing on a on a little bit of a different spin nowadays. Like, uh, what is it, The Boys or something on Amazon? I haven't watched it, but uh, I hear it's definitely a very different superhero show. Too gory for me. I'm I'm not a gory guy. I'm I'm, I'm not one for the horror movies. I'm uh, I'm I'm what you call uh, oh, what's that word? Uh, a wimp. yeah i mean i don't love the gore it's funny i loved horror movies as a kid don't really watch them too much today i'm definitely a good gritty crime drama kind of guy good uh uh drama film as well uh i love like uh underdog stories um yeah man i probably wouldn't make this type of movie myself because i just don't express myself that way as an artist but i love movies like this like the pursuit of happiness with will smith was amazing to me um i love i love stuff that's just like you know like the like character character dramas or yeah yeah i don't know i don't know what that i mean there's so many different like uh terms that you could use for that but yeah um you know i wouldn't really call it like a character study might be something like taxi martin scorsese yeah. um but yeah it would just i don't know underdog story i don't know there's probably other different like more technical film terms you could use for that 
Um, but I love stories like that. And then there's stories that are similar with the underdog story, maybe on the darker end. I loved like The Revenant with Alejandro, uh, Alejandro Inarritu, uh, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, that was just nail biting, so much fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but the gore, yeah, it's like, uh, I'm like, I can tolerate it. I don't love it. I'm just like, eh. I watched it as a kid and now I'm like, I don't really watch horror movies anymore. Um, yeah. And there's definitely gore and violence in a lot of the, the crazy crime dramas and action and gritty uh, thrillers that I watch. But obviously not nothing to the extent of, uh, <laughs> of like Hostel or the old Saw series back in the early 2000s. Yeah. I miss rom-coms. Yeah, I do like, uh, you know what? And, and people are going to be shocked that I'm saying this. I'm not a rom-com guy, but in the early 2000s, there was maybe a couple that were like, all right. You know, when Adam Sandler was doing like 50 first dates, that was fun. That was a fun movie. Uh, Yeah. There was another one. I think it's like the ugly truth with Gerard Butler and the other girl. That was fun. Uh, Seth Rogen did that one with the with the blonde chick who was in all the other Seth Rogen movies where he got her pregnant. I think, yeah. I think it's called Knocked Up. Knocked up. That was funny. Um, those are a little bit raunchier for sure. All three of those. Uh, well, but Jenna, uh, you know, run with, with some of his stuff. Uh, that, was that that certainly helped. Uh, I think uh, the Apatow movies. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it felt. I mean, it was definitely something that would probably be, you know, uh, <laughs> definitely wouldn't happen today. Or, I think what is it? This is forty was another rom com as well with uh, what's his face, who's Ant Man, who like never ages. Oh um, my god! Yeah, um, uh, Paul Rudd. Yeah, 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 exactly. So if we're talking rom-coms, I have a guilty pleasure for those. If it, if it is counted as a guilty pleasure or whatever, for people knowing me and the type of films that I normally like, those back in the day were, were fun, definitely. I have two, <laughs> I have two favorite movies. Um, they're, they're tied at first place. Uh, my, my first one is Man from U.N.C.L.E. I think it's the perfect action movie. I love Guy Ritchie. Um, and it is just, I think one of the best action movies he's ever done. Uh, I gotta watch that. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I enjoy Guy Ritchie. I gotta watch that. I can't believe I haven't seen that yet. And, uh, what was his name? Uh, Superman there with, uh, Mm. army hammer. They are just perfect, uh, bounce, you know, you know, being the, the the you know the 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 American and the Russian and it is just a very fun movie. I I think of it as like the quintessential action movie, and and the cinematography in that is just amazing. It's your usual wow. Guy Ritchie, uh, you know, you, you have your use of slow motion and uh, sure, it's it's I, I had a lot of fun with it. But uh, right next to that. Interesting. It's a rom com, and, and it's it's serendipity. <laughs> I'm gonna take a lot of shit for it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably wouldn't be for me, but let me let me look this up. Yeah, <laughs> this is I, it, it's 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 one of my favorite. It came to me at a certain point in my life where, um, it, it, it like it, you have one of those movies that just kind of speaks to you. It, kind of right. it, it kind of for for one moment you have a movie that's parallel to your life 
right and, and there were a few scenes in that that just did that it was the right place the right time i will always love that movie and john john cusack is just freaking the bomb I like I love John Cusack 100% and and, and say what you will like I said you know art, it, it's art man we all have a difference of opinions um, but especially if somebody tells me like you know I, I really feel a linear connection in what I've seen in that film in my real life like I love that I really love that and for somebody who shoots weddings I can understand why you like romantic comedy totally makes sense <laughs> <laughs> I mean you kind of have to if you enjoy being around love and good things it, it, it's fucking great so no, I, I definitely – until you brought it up now, I would not have uh, really thought and dug deep and be like, man, I actually enjoy quite a bit of romantic comedies. I haven't watched many very recently, but I'm like, if you break it down, yeah, some of these are a little bit raunchy, but I was like, technically, it is a romantic comedy. Um, yep. Man, even even technically Meet the Fockers is a, is a romantic comedy. Totally. I, I love that. Back in the day, we were cracking up. You know, I got nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? Like, so <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, uh, if you want to really look into it, the the second Venom movie is also romantic. I did watch that. I did watch that. Yes. Um, funny enough, I, I'd say, yeah, I'm not a big superhero guy, but I did watch the Venoms. I think I liked it because it's just a little bit darker. Um, but I had fun with those. Yeah. Between him and uh, Eddie Brock and Venom, that's that's a romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, as I was gonna say, what else? I mean, t- yeah, Deadpool. The Deadpools were fun, I guess, because they made fun of superheroes for me. But oh my god, fun. yes. I mean, you can't go yeah. wrong with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, those those were pretty funny for me as well. So yeah, I would have never thought that, but um, yeah. And then comedy movies in general in the early two thousands for me, oh man, staple, staple back in the day. I just felt like they were they were maybe it's just I'm being biased, and that was my generation growing up. And uh, you know, it's years later, so obviously they have time to be remembered. But man, like do a pineapple express super bad. Like all these movies that are still even till today, hold the candle is like absolutely fucking hilarious. Oh, I'm, I, I was running in the eighties, the, the stuff in the nineties and early two thousands, much, much better. Yeah. 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 Like, I, I don't know. I don't know the last time that I've watched a modern comedy movie. I really can't say, or it went out of my way. Um, I don't know. I couldn't even tell you the name of one if I tried or remembered. So, you know, maybe that's just, like I said, my generation, the way we grew up, because obviously culturally how people were 30 years ago is very different from now. And then another 30 years from now, we're going to be a very different society. Um, but man, fucking hilarious. Back then. <laughs> right on, man. Dude, I had a great time chatting with you. Um, and we and, and we got to bring you back on when, when you're ready with the movie, um, because I, I definitely want to pick your brain mm-hmm. about the, the the production of that movie and, and we can go into further uh, details and then talk Hell. about the script. We we'll, we'll save that for when, when it's uh, ready to go. <laughs> yeah dude absolutely it was, it was hell i'll put it that way it was the greatest hell of my life <laughs> there you go. Uh, but uh looking forward to it dude thank you uh so much for getting me on mark uh like i said before i appreciate it i know we were kind of playing tag to get everything coordinated but it, it's been awesome i hope that there was uh some good gems on this one i hope to anybody listening to this that they enjoyed any of what i've had to say 
Um, and thank you, Mark, for, seriously, for the platform to be able to speak and get my voice and opinions out to an audience. So looking forward to it, my man. Awesome. Oh, you know, since we're technically Fujifilm uh, related, yeah. what's film camera? <laughs> Fuji, bro, I want this so bad. I just, you know, we, we all have too many things wants, but I would love if if you ask me right now, it'd be an X one hundred V probably. Oh yeah, what yeah, about that? I, I, I just want to throw it in my pocket and like go to San Fran, New York, and just snap away mobile transfer that shit to my phone. Post these great photos I took along my travels, and just no headaches, no extra weight, no extra things or lenses to think about. Just go out there and create something with it. I don't. It, it's as simple as it could possibly be, and the gear's not getting in your way. And it's just for for the photography that I do do these days. I really love street. I really love. Um, going and exploring new cities and everything. It's the best way I can do that. And then capturing where I've gone. And um, I don't know. I've had my X-T4 for a hot minute. I probably won't sell it just because I, I don't know. I've just had it and I'm weird like that. And uh, I'm blessed Fujifilm gave it to me at the time. But, uh, man, if I could justify buying one, I would totally get an X100V. That's That's been the most fun camera. I've rented it a couple times here uh, for some trips. And, like, it's, yeah. No headaches, no frills and thrills. It's just simple. Go out and create something. Right on, man. Awesome. All right, man. Uh, Before we go, tell the world where they get to find your work on the web. Oh, man. Um, You can go over to my website. Mainly, it's going to be Sean, S-E-A-N, FranklinBoyd.com. I got my reel. I'm going to drop actually this upcoming week for the first time in three years. got a whole portfolio of uh, still and motion over there. Um, Thank you again, Mark. Um, Thank you to everybody listening. And uh, definitely hope to get some new people checking out my work and everything like that. Awesome. Great having you on, and we'll uh, see you at the sequel when uh, we'll do interview part two for your movie, part one. (laughs) Uh, Beautiful, bro. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. Have yourself a good night. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope to see you back next week. I wanted to also mention one more time that this is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And my name is Mark Sadowski. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Mostly Instagram, though. I'm at Mark Sadowski. That's Mark with a C. And you can also check out my other podcast, X-Mark. It's a Fujifilm-esque kind of show, where it's more spice of life and pretty infrequent but if you want more of my voice that's the place to check it out thank you for listening and we'll see you soon